Welcome back to Whiteout Weekly, and it has been a minute since we last put out an episode, so apologies for that, but we did make up for it with a very special guest today. He's the second guest ever to grace the podcast, with the first being Penn State superfan and our very good friend, Reed Kellum, who joined some elite company in terms of guests on the podcast. Very special guest indeed. Joining us today, founder of LIG Sports, which includes a variety of different platforms and services, such as Blue Chips Academy Podcast, the creation of some great brands, as we've seen this year, a good bit locked down you, well uh, which is, you know, leading to, you know, an elite secondary. This gentleman worked in the scouting department for the Cleveland Browns. After a successful six-year NFL career in which he was the fourth-round draft pick, 101st overall by the St. Louis Rams at that time. And then later in his off-the-field career, worked with Penn State in the recruiting department as a recruiting coordinator, which helped lead Penn State to the highest-ranked recruiting class in school history in 2018, where they landed an average commitment grade of a 92 which include the likes of Micah Parsons, who we all know and love, and some of us hate now that he's on the Cowboys, DJ <laughs> Mustafer, and a number of others. Uh, he worked in the XFL along the likes of uh, Commissioner Oliver Luck and Doug Whaley, and a manager of football operations role. But again, most importantly, taking us back to 2005, that electric orange bowl year, where he was the 2005 freshman All American in one of those prominent two-way player roles, the number five overall highest-rated recruit in Penn State history, according to 24-7 Sports. That man is none other than Justin King. A man of many, many, many talents, and we had a very insightful and just all-around great conversation with Justin talking about everything from his Penn State playing days to his current ventures at LIG Sports Group and talked about the highly anticipated big noon kickoff at the big house against Michigan. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Yeah, man. Great to have you on. Thanks for taking the time out to talk to us. We really appreciate yeah, it. Anytime, man. Anytime. Anytime. So uh, I got to ask. Yeah, to start off, I got to ask, namesake of our podcast, obviously, White Out Weekly. <laughs> uh, the first one, I think, was 2004, 2005. Five. It was five. Yeah, probably just like the student section, spreading it over Facebook or something like that. Yeah, beat. No, I was, I was actually on the team when that first one happened, and uh, I yeah. remember it to this day. And I remember Guido, shout out to Guido, he was the... Uh, marketing uh, guy in the, at the football department and he had this idea for just the student section that we're all white and we were playing um i don't know if it was the, was it ohio state or minnesota it was ohio state you guys upset him it, it was ohio state okay yeah. yeah so i remember i remember how electrifying that was when we stepped on the field like it was already i got goosebumps the first four games we played cincinnati all those different type of things but uh I remember that whiteout being really different that first one. And it was strong because, you know, as a defense, you're like right in the student section. So yeah. it was just like right there in the following year, we followed up with the Notre Dame uh, situation. Was that Notre Dame next year? Yes, it was. It was 2007 was, Notre Dame. 2007 was Notre Dame. Yeah. yeah and they had Jimmy Clausen and it was the whole whiteout. And that's when I think it was like 
this is here to stay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you saw basically like the entire evolution of the whiteout. Oh, I mean, when I went, when I went back to work and seeing what it's turned into, I mean, it's like the eighth wonder in the world, eighth wonder of the world. Like, <laughs> really we is, were playing, we were freshmen, you know, it was a little bit exciting, but like, so the brand of football was changing in the sense of just the high flying excitement and, you know, Dion, Jordan, Derek, yeah, you know, Mike, Rob, all those guys were playing. Yeah. We had a good season and let's see what it is now, you know, come back and it was, you know, Saquon and Trace and all these guys, you know, mm -hmm. it was just, it was a different level. Like when, uh, Saquon took that first handoff direct snap and he took off on Michigan or Michigan coming out and they can't operate. I was like, love oh, that man. clip. Love <laughs> that clip. <laughs> so I got from a player's perspective in the locker room, what are the vibes like? And how do you like keep your emotions in check before a game like that, an environment like that? For the for the home team, I think it's energizing, right? I think it's it's really cool. I think the 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 hurdle to get over is to not lose all your energy and juice before the game because you can get so up in arms. Some guys even pass out where you're just so excited and yeah. just really into it because it's an emotional game. Football is a special sport in the sense of you know you got everything, physicality, emotional intelligence, all just working into one, and you get all those things flowing. You get the crowd participation. Um, <clears throat> It's really for the home team, just maintaining, uh, I guess, some level of focus and not getting too much into the emotion. And then for the, you know, the opposing teams, it's really staying focused because, like, that's the one, that's the first thing I heard when I got to the NFL, just playing with other guys in the Big Ten was like, man, that whiteout, that whiteout game, that mm -hmm. whiteout thing is completely <laughs> crazy. And it messes you up a little bit too when you go to Penn State, you go to like the NFL because the games aren't as live as, you know, Beaver Stadium. So shout out to for sure. Penn State fans. <laughs> yeah, just obviously, obviously the you know a prime time game. Obviously, it's a much longer wait time. Is would you say is there a much different, um, you know, kind of strategy that you have going into a noon game versus a versus a prime time game? Because obviously, <clears throat> you know, does it alter your sleep schedule, things like that, or is it just kind of all the same, but you're just getting ready earlier? Um, you're you're getting ready earlier. But it does adjust things in terms of it's a, it's like a work day though a night game so you have meetings mm -hmm. pretty much all day you're going through the process it's almost again like practicing at the end you know you get to get after it so but there's a different feeling going under the lights in college football like a night game like the vibes yeah. or whatever like whether you're relaxing all day getting ready for the build up that's different I actually like um after Saturday afternoon games, like, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's just something about, uh, you know, like Friday night lights, like when you're playing Friday, like when you're playing in high school, Friday night lights, it's like a feeling, there's an essence that comes with it. And there's something about college football in the afternoon. Like when you get there right. at three o'clock, the fans are out there, you see people hung over. Like, <laughs> there's just something about the activity right there, but it's a completely different scene. I think when you go to night game, I just think that's an outlier in a special situation. But um, so how I prepare, I think it's typically the same. I like to get up and get after it. So it's, it's not looking over right. too many things as a as a corner. You know what I mean? Just not overthinking. Try to stay on the reactionary tip. <laughs> right, right. In the in the NFL, you know, you have like your veterans and guys like that, where they help. They're big locker room guys, and they help you out. How much 
to the upperclassmen help in an environment like that? You know, when you're talking about Minnesota, I know we're skipping ahead here, but the Minnesota game where you got Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, guys like that are going to be experiencing it for the first time. How much does a guy like PJ Mustafer, Nick Tarver, and guys like that, how much should they help those younger guys in those types of environments? I think it's extremely important, man. That's speaking to the culture of a team, right? When you're just uh, mm-hmm. like you start to follow the lead of guys that have been there and like what to expect and how to prepare for certain type of games and just staying with the one and mentality and staying process driven, right? Like you know your job, you know what you're doing, like you average four yards a carry. Like this is nothing new. Yeah, you know, I mean this is gonna be new for them across the right. thing, but these hundred and ten thousand fans in white are cheering for you. So mm-hmm. I think that's a level of the culture that I think James has built there that would be good because like they're used to playing in big games. They're used to playing um, top, top competition and going in with the identity and belief that they're going to win. You know what I mean? Cause they, they have. So I think that's, that speaks to the culture of the team just for me, for me personally, like when I came into Penn state, Alan Zemaitis, Michael Robinson, Paul Lesney, like, they were the culture. They set the culture, right? Tom yeah. Bahali, mm-hmm. like Dan, but, I, Dan Cole. I can go on forever. You know what I mean? Jay Alfred, just whatever. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah, and that kind of trickled down to the point where, you know, you know what to expect. And that's a part of, you know, building a culture within the football team. For sure. To have sustained success. Yeah. So going into your uh, the LIG sports group, you were a recruiter for Penn State for a while, right? Yeah, I was recruiting coordinator, um, 17 to 19. So and you brought 18, in 18, 19 class. Yeah, Micah, yeah, uh Owe, got Jahan, got uh Mustafer. I mean, we had we had some good class, a couple good classes when I was there, you know. You got Joey Porter oh, out there now, class. Jaquan Brisker. Jaquan Those Brisker are just there. All time classes um, right there. <laughs> I would like to say so. So just so anybody listening, yeah, we did we did our work there. It was, it was credit <laughs> to that recruiting staff. I mean, just to speak to, you know, we talk about a staff and what you prepare out of it or what comes from, you know, recruiting staff. You had, you know, Mike Villagrano, he's the DPP at Virginia Tech. You know, EJ Barthel was a, the running back, run game coordinator at UConn. You have mm-hmm. Andrew Goodman, who's a former walk-on at Penn State, now is the DFO at UConn. You know, I have my own business and things of that nature. Kenny's the national recruiter. Uh, coordinator at Penn State, and then Andy Frank has been a staple with James Franklin since his Vanderbilt days. So when you like look at the talent that we had all around and just the different pieces, we had a pretty special group of guys bringing in array of talent that can match up uh, what I think the Penn State culture needed, and it worked. <laughs> it's cool to see the report yeah. card like four or five years later, right? Like that's you yeah. really get excited. <laughs> you look at those guys in the NFL now, and it's like they're some of the top players at their positions in the NFL. So that must Absolutely. be an awesome feeling. Yeah, um, it is. It is. But so one of the arms of LIG Sports Group is recruiting. How does yes, recruit? How does it change? How has it changed with now the NIL deals and more particularly the transfer portal? How sure, that sure, hundred percent. So it's like tactics. Yeah. So with LIG, we we hit the recruiting uh, piece on two different stands, two different fronts. We got the Blue Chip Academy, which is our high school. Um, for the families, athletes, and that's recruiting advice and behind the scenes things so it can so they can go through the process, accelerate it and understand and the different intricacies and how to set themselves up for success, not having the most offers, but what is your staying power once you get to the school? Are you going to the right school or what are you trying to get out of this whole process? Because we already know certain percentage of only a small percentage make it to the NFL, but this college time and this 
entry point to the recruiting process is the entry into the sports business and essentially the rest of your career, if you look yeah. at it like that. And that's a pretty heavy decision for a 17 year old when they're getting shadowed, uh, like showered with attention from grown men since they were 14 mm -hmm. years old. It's a weird dichotomy. And a lot of them are getting to school and spending 36 months there. And then it's off to the races in the NFL. And now you're just in a whole completely different world with someone that doesn't have all the, I guess, want to say skills or development things when you're going through the process, because football is a very intense thing, right? When you're getting recruited, once you're trying to make it to the top, when you get to a place like Penn State, your time is regimented. So like exploring different things and what you want to do outside of football is sometimes difficult if it's not aligned and everything is situated. So that's what we do at the Blue Chip Academy. And then from the standpoint, from the professional services, helping with, you know, like when we talk about lockdown U mm. and building the brands in the NIL, that's a, another form of recruiting, right? From the standpoint of just second level, we just take it up a notch where now you're talking about guys that have scalable um, value, right? Like mm -hmm. if they're good and they fit into the program and different things of that nature. So it's all comes into talent acquisition. And from that, we use that as a, a, a vehicle to help recruit at that school, right? Because now we're, we're trying to make the brand fit and no one wants to start a brand, brand with bad players. So it's, so from you're talking to a talent acquisition professional recruiting personnel, whatever the case may be. So I value how good the fit and how talented players are. Um, so that's kind right. of where we fit in the recruiting process there. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, that's definitely a resource that I've been thinking personally, college football, especially and the NFL rookies coming into the NFL need, they need those resources to kind of bounce off of because not a lot of them have that growing up or going into college. That's the biggest thing with NIL, right? It's like this whole new ecosystem. And I mean, coaches, back office guys, administrators, recruiting coordinators are already, you know, have a lot of things on their plate. And especially for a player that's going through the process, I mean, they have, they have practice, they have different things. So even with Lockdown U and the brands that we're creating under the Blue White Collective at Penn State is it's really to help these guys leverage their name, image, and likeness the correct way and use the power of the school, right? That's because you're going to be a part of it anyway and then building a legacy silo. So we build in, you know, merchandise and the brands are step one, but we get to step two, step three. Now you're talking about a legacy silo that has player development aspects. Now you got connected to the career development things when you're leaving Penn State because we know how strong the Penn State network, network is with highest yep. dues, um, you know, do the highest dues paying alumni in the country mm -hmm. and all those good things. So like trying to activate those things and really benefit the guys who are not missing anything throughout this process, but given an acceleration through their uh, professional careers, right? Using sports as a catalyst. So that's kind of how we use that. And that's the plan moving forward with those, with the uh, Blue White Collective and Lockdown U. How would you say that your experiences, you know, obviously being one of the top overall recruits in the country, you know, going to Penn State and then having pit stops, you know, obviously an NFL career and then working with the Cleveland Browns and correct me if I'm wrong, but you worked in the XFL for a bit as well. And then yeah. at Penn State, how, how would you say those experiences, both as a player and, you know, on the other side of it has allowed you to, you know, not, not only find your own, but create your own business, but help relate to the kids that you're working with as well? I mean, I think it's, I think my unique path is the only reason I created my business, right? Because I think it is a very unique thing to me. I don't think there's, I can't speak for the world, but I don't know how many guys were a five-star when, you know, Rivals was happening, kind of went to mm -hmm. school, turned around, I graduated in 36 months, goes to the NFL, kind of just my whole track and being able to, even from the standpoint of going all the way up to 
you know, recruiting guys like Michael Parsons from that standpoint, and then going mm-hmm. to the XFL and being able to work with Oliver Luck, work with a Doug Willie, work with a uh, Vince McMahon. We used to talk about sports marketing and branding at the highest level and building, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a football league and all the different tentacles that come off of a business, you know, Vince had $500 million that we had to start a football league with. So like, that's just a whole, so seeing the whole, you know, ecosystem from an intimate space, I mean, that's kind of how LIG came about when you talk about the different three tentacles with Blue Chip Academy, that's the high school, you know, high school education and Mm -hmm. critical uh, piece. And then we talk about strategic partnerships and business development in the college space, which is all the critical points in an athlete's career in which they need. And when we get to the NFL or executive search and making that transition out of game and finding athlete driven traits that have transferable skills right into Mm -hmm. corporate America, whether you want to be a general manager, coach, or working as a uh, chief revenue officer, chief marketing officer, this is a specific set of um, not skills that you get as an athlete, but you have a, a very critical or unique perspective going through the product line as a product, right? If you're aware of the different things that are that you're going through, man, I've seen so many different things playing at Penn State, working uh, as a player, and then going to the other side and knowing how to deal with the player. What did what, like what actually moved the needle to profitability if we're dealing with the players, right? And just understanding all the different intricacies of the business of sports um, has been, I mean, extremely fun. I always wanted to be a general manager before I wanted to play in the NFL, right? So, mm-hmm. That's so- growing up, you know, like growing up, I was a ball boy. So that was like the first, like that was my inclination, like oh look at this coach, look at this AD. And then it was like, yeah, yeah. I want to play too. <laughs> so my, <laughs> so like my viewpoint is what's always kind of flipped a little bit. That's awesome. <clears throat> so yeah, going, so you graduated before your spring semester, of your junior year, before you went to the NFL. Yes. And yes. you ran a four, three, one, 40 yard dash at the combine. Back in the day. <laughs> Second to Chris Johnson. Like, yeah, it kind of kind of got overshadowed, man. It was like I ran four three one. It was like, uh, yeah, because like, he congrats. had he had the record for like a decade. No, like I looked that up. I was like, dude, this guy second in the class to one of the guys who held the forty yard dash record for I don't even know how many years. Right, 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 right. I mean, four two four is pretty crazy, right? And I was, I mean, it made me feel slow at four three one. So I've never really counted <laughs> yeah. that as like a fast time because I was like, man, it's like ran four two four, like that's that's different, right? It's all about I me. Mean, what they say, uh, comparisons the thief of joy. So I guess I wasn't that joyous that day because I was comparing the four two four. What is the the combine training regimen like? Having to do. Did you have to do deal with that, bounce that in classes as well? Or was it just uh, so no, uh, I left for so since I graduated, so having the plan that I I mean wanted to graduate so I can go to any training facility in the country. I ended up going to AT, API in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona to train. Um so I was already I already graduated Penn State, so I was out there training um for the time. And it's really like the combat is really just a really just a long interview process where they're trying to see you off kilter right like my mm-hmm. i might have ran my 40 yard dash at 7 30 in the morning right so like oh, they okay. get you yeah so it's like they want to see you perform like early in the morning you're in meetings really late and just like the interview process everything's just trying wow. to get you off kilter with a lot of different variables because they're trying to see your internal makeup right from or get confirmation for what the information that they've gathered for the past two years and check off boxes here so 
as an athlete going through that, your whole process, whether you're hitting the ground running um, through the training process is making sure you're good on the field, but making sure you're sharp in how to be a professional throughout the combine. Because, I mean, you lose millions of bucks if you handle that the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you started as a two-way player, you're running back, cornerback as a true freshman. What kind of prompted yeah. you to follow that path to just being a pure cornerback? Well, you know, when I came into Penn State, I was always one of the, you know, growing up, I mean, I don't know if Charles Wilson was my, was my favorite football player of all time, probably still is. Uh, but, you know, growing up, you know, watching him play two ways and different things, that's was always a dream of mine to play college football and play two ways. So that was something that, you know, Joe Paterno uh, promised me and told me if I, if I could show that I could do it and we can make it work. So when I came in early as a freshman uh, in January, you know, it was a very, very beneficial time for me to get integrated with the offense and defense, learn certain um, defensive packages and learn packages. So I, I was very conceptual learner. So I was learning different concepts and being able to fit in the packages. So I was able to play fast um, as if as a freshman, but as my responsibility on defense grew, you know, the emergence of Dion Jordan and mm-hmm. all those guys. The next year we had different, you know, Evan Royster, just the offense had firepower kind of Joe saw it fit for me to transition over and go to full-time corner. Um, I always wanted to, I still wanted to get the ball a little bit. I think I was, you know, I was a little, little tight about that later on, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, you killed it as a running back, 18 carries, 227 yards as a freshman, along with 10 catches for 126 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah. We were yeah, a little bad. utility guy. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> we, were, we were efficient. <laughs> we were efficient. <laughs> so, on, on that note, why do you think, yeah, kind of in your own words, like why, you know, because if we're being honest, over the last several years, you know, prominent two-way players have kind of phased out, right? You had yourself, your freshman year, or, you know, if you think back even further, you had Chris Campbell at Ohio State, you know, if you're sticking with the Big Ten. Do you think it's just kind of the, the physicality of the game or the need to truly just be great at your, you know, true position when you're looking to go get to that next level? I think when you start getting to the recruiting process and you're bringing people in and the depth that you need in, in a football game with the high pace offenses now again, 90 to hundred plays, I just think it's kind of hard for a player to maintain uh, just the, just the level of endurance for both sides of the ball and the physicality. And I would add somebody else into that keep to leap. He was a great two way player. Oh, in Kansas, right, yeah. and, I, and it was like, you know, it, his was like, I was always impressed by him. He was a good friend of mine, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to play both wide, both ways, phys- like physically. And when you mm-hmm. get into the NFL, right, you're getting into the, the nitty gritty of how good are you at this position? You know what I mean? Can you do, right. you know, this, that, and the third, and it's based on technique a little bit. And so you want to sharpen those things because now you're dealing with surgeons in the NFL, right? right. Like it's, it's not just based on athletic ability. There's a lot of times when I was a freshman, I understand, I, my dad being a coach and an athletic director, I had, I, I like to say my football IQ is a little higher than typical. Mm-hmm. So when I got into Penn State, I was able to kind of mentally grasp everything and kind of lean on my athleticism to have some success right. as a freshman. But as you get higher up and got a cover tag getting there's the number one receiver in this game. I don't know if I, can, I don't know if I should be focusing on getting the ball if I got to cover this guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Right. Yeah. There's different responsibilities, <laughs> but still important. <laughs> <laughs> it 
So let's get into the big game this week at Michigan. Wolverines are, I think I saw it at seven point favorites over Penn State. Seven and a half. Oh, seven and a half, maybe? Yeah, seven and a half or seven. Um, yeah. Dave and I talked briefly about some matchups, mainly Blake Quorum stopping that run game. It was awesome to see uh, PJ Mustafer seemingly 100% back from that injury over the past couple games. But just from Absolutely. a defensive back's perspective, what are you seeing in Manny Diaz's defense that's leading to, I think we have 13 takeaways in the last three games. So what are you seeing that's making yeah. that whole entire unit just gel so well? Well, I mean, obviously you got to lock down on you. We got to start with the back end, right? Like these guys are just all over the place and just the depth of talent that mm-hmm. I think they have. Like when you just look at a, like a secondary, man, you got, you got Joey, you got Kalen, you got Day Day, you got uh, Jamie Dixon, you got Keen Ellis, you got Wheatley, you got Tig 16, you got, um, I mean, it, it, there's so much depth back there and guys that can cover and make plays. It frees up you know, the stuff up front, and, you know, Manny Diaz comes from like an attack style defense from when he was at Miami and different things of that nature. So I think you're seeing players playing real comfortable in their strengths. Right. And when you talk about stopping the run, I mean, PJ being, being back is, is critical. And I was very impressed by Abdul Smith uh, last week. I mean, I got to sit in, I'm typically on the, on the field watching the game. So I can't always see what's happening. Let's like a splash play. And last week when I was the honorary captain, I got a chance to sit in the um, suite again. And it's like watching the all 22 film. So you can like really see who's working, yeah. what's happening. I really enjoyed that. But he really impressed me last week. Uh, Abdul Smith, and that's different thing. So I think him, him showing up and uh, chop in the middle and those guys, I think, mm-hmm. slow that down and get them in passing situations. I think it would be a pretty good day for Penn State. Yeah, I mean, they, I think they had two consecutive plays where it was chop and Abdul just back to back when they're on their goal line, just stuff on the run <laughs> right in the B yeah, gap. Like, yeah. And obviously you got, and you got guys like PJ, right? Like PJ is a, he's a monster. He's a man in there. Yeah. Like when you talk about when I was recruiting, we always talked about recruiting size, right? Cause I, it was still on the, when I got there in the back end of um, some of the sanction classes per se, but like nothing wrong. There's really great players that came out of that Chris Godwin and, uh, Jordan Lucas and just great players. But when you talk about the interior linemen from that standpoint, I think that's where it was kind of off where you got like a little bit smaller guys, not athletic mm-hmm. or whatever that may be. So I think now that you're seeing that internal makeup of defensive linemen and even the offensive line, right? We talk about last year where Penn State had a little trouble getting the, yeah. the wheels turning. And this now this year with two freshmen really getting downhill and making the defense show up and play sound football. That's very important when it comes to Big Ten football, I mean, football in general. <laughs> Don't let anybody yeah, fool you. We harp on that every week, how the biggest thing that's held us back is, I hate to say having an SEC type line, but having that type, I mean, those type of bodies up front to be able to beat a team like Michigan, Ohio State, who have those type of bodies. That's really... I'm happy. I'm happy you did this with the SEC line because that's a that's a real thing when you talk about you know talent acquisition and recruiting. Like there's certain size, there's size standards and critical factors when you come to recruit. And I mean, you can look up. I mean, I don't have to go to the the numbers, but you can look up some analytics of like the top defensive linemen of the past twenty years and where they came from. Like mm. 
it's going it's it's going to be down there. <laughs> yeah, as he's like you say, like the SEC defense yeah, exactly. But I they think get, that's they get the name because you know they've had a bunch of big players in the past, but it's kind of get moving towards more Big Ten. Yeah. Action well, right it's here. finding the right it's, fi- it's finding the right players right you know you get yeah. guys like that but like christian barmer is a second round pick out of alabama he's he gets considered a sec lineman but he's from philadelphia mm-hmm. so it's like true, it, all become, it all comes down to you know talent acquisition and finding the right fits for your your school your ecosystem and the scheme that you play so before we let you go we need a score prediction from you who you got Obviously, uh, score we know prediction. Got, but what's the score prediction for me? Going Penn State 24-7. 24-7. Ooh, I like that. Defense <laughs> showing up. How many, how many takeaways are we getting? We got give me give me three. Three? Oh, all right. <laughs> one, fumble, one fumble, one fumble, two picks. <laughs> one fumble, two picks. All right. I'm gonna go two okay. picks. Two well, there we go. There we go. <laughs> uh again, Justin, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us we really appreciate it we're going to link Definitely. all the socials uh in the description below but if there's anything else you want to shout out from lig blue chip academy no nah, man just yeah your... you know lockdown you lig sports group you know guys check that out www.ligsportsgroup.com everywhere that you need uh to handle the critical points of the football ecosystem anybody that's trying to go through this sports ecosystem whether you're a high school going through the recruiting process if you're looking for a job in sports and just moving up in nil and different consulting practices man we're here for all those critical factors that really are a little under underneath uh, the main thing that everyone talks about in in sports but we're here for all that you know so you know, check that out and you know blue chip academy the podcast that comes out weekly where we interview uh, different professionals that use sports as a catalyst to a career they can bank on and use those tactical steps so guys can really maximize these opportunities that they do have and not really short themselves and maximize on the field and off the field. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I love what you're doing with that. Like, that's yeah. awesome. Respect, awesome. Man. I, thank awesome you. Part. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having awesome. me on, fellas. Like this was yeah, really fun. That, was, that was a great conversation. Like football in a minute. <laughs> yeah, that was very, very insightful. I've learned a ton from you about recruiting inside. Like the some people passing out during a, before a whiteout game. Like that's nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember. My, so crazy. my favorite player of all time is B Doc. There, be Doc. Yeah, that's what I was. Tell me stories of like he would get so hyped before a game that he would literally have to, that people would have to sit him down and he'd have to like take oxygen just to calm him down before kickoff. <laughs> I think the game yeah. hadn't even started yet. He's the essence of football. Different breed. Different breed. Uh, yeah, that dude was... Air crawling out of the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, man. No, that's awesome. Yeah, there's a, B-Doc's a favorite. It's yeah, a favorite. What's your, with, what uh, is your favorite sports team? Uh, NFL My team. favorite sports team? Ah, man, I don't really, I don't know, I think I was uh, scarred as as a young kid. I I got, I was like, I want to say I was a fan for like two years. I got into football. I was like fighting it. You know, Terry Smith, associate head coach at Penn State, you know, got me into football. I was like watching. I was like, I don't want to watch Nickelodeon. I want to do this. And then I finally became a fan, right? And I was like fully in it. And I love the Steelers. And they lost to the Chargers. I think that was like, I'm going to show my age, but I want to say 94. I don't know, 94, 96, mm-hmm. but I was so hurt that they lost because I like thought they were winning. Growing up in Pittsburgh, it's a religion. 
all that stuff. And I think at that moment, I've never been a fan of a team ever again. <laughs> but always looked at how teams operate and how they, you know, handle from the just business operation side, the essence that they use, um, that they have in the community and just the consistency from ownership and teams like that. So that's how I look at teams. And still, the Steelers are one of my favorite teams, even though it's like a down year, but the way that they operate, I would say the Steelers are probably one of my favorites. Yeah, I think I've awesome. announced my Eagles fanhood like 25 times. <laughs> Anytime they lose. Fan, fandom's a grind, too. Never again. Never again. <laughs> yeah, fandom's a grind, man. Especially with your players. Like, I don't have like, I, don't have, I think man. I'm having one of the best fan football seasons ever. We got Penn State 5-0. and uh, Eagles are 5-0, too. Yeah, so, yeah Miles, is, is Miles, is, Miles is showing out out there, man. Yeah. Uh, Miles, yeah. Jalen Hurts, all those guys. I was looking That's it up not- today uh, for an article I'm about to write. I think he's fourth in the league in total rushing yards, Miles. Saquon's what, one or two? Saquon's two. Yeah, Saquon's two. And one, one. one. Yeah. Okay, okay. So he's, yeah, That's, he's killing it. Got two Penn State. pretty good. Five. <laughs> Why not? That's, That's what we're talking about, man. <laughs> I'm a, now you say that, though, I'm a, I am a Penn State fan now. I would say that. I like. Okay. I, I mean, I think that's where I'm. I probably the only team that I'm like emotionally attached to. Where it's like, I, <clears> if it's going, if it's not going the way, I just turn it off. It's like I have. It's like you have to like when you really like something, you have to keep distance so it's not like too emotional. Like, yeah, you know I mean, that's why recruit and don't. That's why recruit and don't coach. You know what I mean? Coach had a want to have an impact, but ah, like I care. Yeah, <laughs> I feel you on that. This is fun, fellas. I really appreciate it being on. Yeah, man. Keep yeah, up. We appreciate you, man. You are a hilarious follow on Twitter. That profile picture of you on the sidelines at the Northwestern game. <laughs> <laughs> Racking up to you. No, How was man. that game? It was cool. Yeah, I mean, it was cool. Like, even in the rain and, and stuff like that. I'm, I enjoy football. And it's cool seeing those guys. Like, I recruited someone. Like, I remember Joey when his name came up when he was a sophomore. And he, like, the last time he had came to camp. He had ran, don't don't be mad at me, Joey, but he ran like 499, right? Like <laughs> it was like a young prospect. So you start seeing like all these different stories of just the maturation process of guys, whether it's him, the brisker, you know, Micah. And and it's really a part a fulfilling thing to see them live out their dreams, right? Like I remember Jahan and Micah and all these guys, like Uketa having dreams to play in the NFL and like really want to make an impact and using their college experience to do that. And to see them really do it and the staff at Penn State to put the support around those guys and see their dreams fulfilled. I mean, for our move too, like those guys were intentional about what they wanted to do and would have, I would have put my bottom dollar on it. And so like, <laughs> it was like, I had a lot of theories going through my football career and like those two classes, I tested a lot of theories on just like type of players that I've seen and different things that I need sure from the players that I played with. Right. Cause I like to say that I played with some of the most talented guys in my three years at Penn state ever. Like I think we left probably seven wins on the, on the table from my three years from just the talent that we had. Right. Mm-hmm. And we start going into like, you know, Navarro Bowman and, you know, Maven and Jared Aldrich, those the second mm-hmm. round of those first round picks and all those guys. But um, yeah, it's it's really fulfilling to see those guys really maximize this process because you know it's such a small percentage and you can get lost in the cracks very easy. Yeah, that must be such an awesome feeling. And uh, I mean, again, keep up the great work. I mean, that's so terrific, so terrific. By the way, your record was twenty nine and nine at Penn State. 
I, I say it left. They say it left seven out there. <laughs> so it could have, yeah, could have been, been thirty-six and two. Right. <laughs> according according to Justin King, his record was thirty-six and two at Penn State. Yeah, I mean, based on the, based on the talent that we had, and I think a different stuff of how maybe you know I won't get into any of the little details of it, but the talent we had, we should have won those games. Awesome, man. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us. We appreciate it so much. Thank you guys. Love what you guys are doing too, man. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it so much. We'll talk to you again, for sure. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. All right. Peace, man. See you, man. See you. We are not done yet. The greatest betting competition on the planet returns. Last week we did it over text, but the Big Ten betting bonanza is back for week number seven. I believe I got that right this time. Seven? Seven. There we go. So we have a man on fire in terms of Dave Barron. This guy is crushing it. And on the flip side, I am a garbage man, essentially. I'm <laughs> living in trash, living in filth. Awful record. We'll get into last week, how I got there, how Dave got there. His only miss last week was the Rutgers, Nebraska, over 49, which was a perplexing pick, to say the least. <laughs> I was very confused when that he opened it up with that. I was like, okay, uh, you can take that, sure. But then you easily hit the Michigan-Indiana under a 58-and-a-half. And then you hit the Ohio State-Michigan State over on a late garbage time touchdown in the fourth. So week six, Barron goes 2-1, up another 0.8 units, and most importantly gets plus two bonanza points. That's what I'm calling them now. Bonanza points. I dig it. So his season totals are absurd. 10 and 5 record, up over six units on the season, and absolutely crushing me in bonanza points with plus 16 so far. Woo! Woo, baby. And now we head to Flea Bottom, <clears throat> aka my picks. <laughs> uh, I mean, I had Rutgers money line Friday night. Oof. They had control that game the entire first half. And then just like my the Big Ten betting bonanza season, the wheels just came off. But honestly, I should have known better. I bet them three times this year already. <laughs> <laughs> They've lost every time, but I'm probably going to keep betting them. And then... I said in our text thread that Illinois was everything I will wish they were, and I wasn't wrong. They they are. I had them at minus they three. They look good. <laughs> had minus, minus three and a half. They won despite Tommy DeVito going down in all-time Big Ten slugfest, nine to six. <laughs> no touchdowns scored, 14 total points, and a big fat L for me. But the only one I won, the football gods were finally 
finally on my side as Maryland scored a touchdown with 35 seconds left to bring that total to 61, and I had over 58 and a half. So they saved you after betraying me earlier in the air with that. I mean, I, need, I, was, about, game. I was about to go on three and I, I, I need <laughs> so one and two last week for me lost 1.1 units in my third straight week of getting only one bonanza point, which I'm not proud of. So I'm officially ice cold, ice cold. On season, this is, I'm literally holding back, throw up reading these numbers. On season, down seven, down to seven, nine, and one record, down over half a unit. So that's not too bad, but I only have seven total finanza points compared to Dave's 16. So I need an absolute miracle to get things back on track. And if you're betting, you should definitely follow. Dave's picks and not mine. And with that, I'll give you the floor, Dave. First pick, week seven, big time betting bonanza. So again, uh, you know, this week's slate, not a lot to choose from here. So going to get a lot real interesting here pretty quick. So I am going to start this off with Indiana versus Maryland. Okay. I'm going to take the over here at 61 and a half. I think Maryland continues to score Indiana that defense has given up pretty much 30 points a game on average. And I think they'll, they'll be able to score a couple touchdowns here with Maryland's D not being too scary. So I do like the over here, 61 and a half. I was also looking at that 61 is a lot of points though. Okay. I'm glad you didn't take this from me. And I honestly do not want to take this bet. I repeat, I do not want to take this bet because I feel like I'm cursed and this will curse the bet. But I have to do it to get back in this, this uh, competition. Penn State money line. Love it. Plus 220. I think we're going to come out strong. They might have the lead going into halftime, but I think we're eventually going to make it a very close game and pull away in the end. Like we said, we finally have those bodies on the inside to match up with Michigan. I don't think they're prepared for that. Penn State money line. Let's go. Let's go. Go State, baby. I love it. Had to take that from you. <laughs> nah, you can have it. All right. Uh, I'm going to go Illinois versus Minnesota. Illinois coming off fresh off the new AP poll, being ranked in that top 25. And I know Tommy DeVito points. did. <laughs> get, yeah, no. DeVito did get banged up. I actually didn't see. Do you know, is he playing this week? He's questionable with ankle. I think he's questionable. I think I think I'll end up going here. So I do like the Illini plus six and a half at home. I think Minnesota maybe gets caught looking a little ahead to the next week's whiteout matchup in Happy Valley. I think Minnesota still comes out with the win here, but I like the Illini to keep it close. I so this is a hold on paper right here. I'm taking the under 39 and a half. I think I saw that in that game. Yeah. So I had Minnesota and I crossed it out <laughs> because of the stats that I read. So <laughs> rushing totals, yards per games, yards per game allowed this season. Minnesota's allowing 93 yards on the ground. Illinois is allowing 
67.4. That's third in the entire FBS. So Mo Ibrahim is probable. So he'll be back. Mm -hmm. Like we said, DeVita is questionable, but he might also be back. However, Illinois has is second in the FBS in QB pressure percentage with Newton and Randolph leading that charge. So I think this is going to be another Big Ten slugfest that Illinois is going to find themselves in. And I know it's a low total, but I'm taking under 39 and a half. Like it, class of Big Ten October affair. Exactly. <laughs> and that, that was also what I was checking for the weather. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping there was going to be some kind of inclement weather. Snowfall in Champagne. I think it's going to be like 64 and sunny. So <laughs> let's go defense. <laughs> All right. Uh, for my last pick, I'm going Nebraska against Purdue. And I'm going to take the Cornhuskers here plus 13 and a half. I think this could end up being a closer game than the spread would indicate. I think Purdue does come away with victory here. Purdue's been on a nice little tear here uh, since the opener against Penn State. But I, I think Nebraska's shown a little bit more fighting in them. I think they cover the the two touchdown spread. Um, Casey Thompson, was he in, He was injured last game? He was. I think he's another one where he's questionable for this week. I'd have to look and see if he's in there or not, but. Oh yeah, I'm not sure if he came back in or not. If it was just like a, a cheap, like a uh, targeting shot or not. But mm. <laughs> funnily enough, I'm also on this game. I'm taking the <laughs> over 58 and a half Ooh. in this game. Uh, Casey Thompson, if he plays, I think we'll put up some yards and touchdowns against this Purdue defense, who's allowing over 300 yards in the air per game. And then Aiden O'Connell back for the Boilermakers. He's going against Nebraska secondary. He's allowing over 265 yards in the air per game. So I'm taking that over 58 and a half. So I just checked that Casey Thompson did come back in that game. So I think he should be good to go. Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought he did. All right. Yeah, so that I'm, I'm loving that over now. All right. So I got a plus three on the board, a plus one, and a plus one. And you're all plus ones. You had Illinois. Well, your second one was Illinois plus six and a half. Plus six and a half. Yep. Okay. Cool. All righty. That will do it for this episode of Whiteout Weekly. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Justin King. I know we certainly did. Once again, shout out Justin for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time. We have all of his links in the description below. Uh, if you're listening in the podcast or on YouTube in the description for LIG, if you want to give them a follow, his socials as well as Lockdown U. Um, thank you guys again for listening. We'll be back next week after the huge Michigan game.